I'm Colleen Shaddix, and this is Lost Lives, a new series of podcasts presented by the Connecticut Health I-Team's The Workup. Lost Lives examines the starkest health disparity, life expectancy. People can die earlier in the U.S. because of their race, income, or where they live. In each episode, we're going to create a portrait of someone who suffered early death and talk with family about how the loss continues to shape their own lives. I loved everything about Shane. Shane, he would ask me to cook his favorite meal, and it could be, and his favorite meal would be things that you would cook and eat in the winter. But I would get up and I would cook it for him because I knew that he would eat every bit of it. Uh-huh. You know, I, I, if I get up and I make homemade baked macaroni and cheese and candy yams in 90 degree weather, I know that he's going to eat this. Baked ham, he's going to eat this. So I would get up and I would heat the whole house up and, and just make it for him. Because he was the apple of your eye. Because he was the apple of my eye. On October 20th, 2012, the apple of Janet Rice's eye, her son Shane Oliver, was fatally shot in Hartford during an argument. Rice knows that these incidents are all too common. Homicides in Connecticut are concentrated in a few urban centers. Two-thirds of gun murders in Connecticut happen in Bridgeport, New Haven, and Hartford. As tragic as mass shootings are, the majority of gun homicides happen here, one and two deaths at a time, though these killings draw far less attention. Inspired by her son's death, Rice now works for Connecticut Against Gun Violence. I just want everybody to know that it is an epidemic. It is. And we have to do something about it. We really do. We have to do something about it. I don't know what yet, but um, we have to get it to a round table and put our minds together and figure it out and make it happen. Because I want to come to that day when we can reduce or end urban gun violence. Even before Rice was working with Connecticut Against Gun Violence, she was attending vigils throughout the state for young people who had been shot. There's always another vigil. What is that like for you? It's rough. It's rough. It is. And I try to make it to all of them and extend myself to the parents because I do understand what they're going through. I, You know, I do. I just was that one where there was a double, two brothers. That was rough. That was rough. That was last week. <laughs> that was rough. But you keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I keep doing it. Because I I understand. I understand what, what the parent is going through. I do. And, and I need to let them know that you're not alone. You're not alone. And you're going to have nights where you can't sleep. And on those nights that you can't sleep, after the dust settles and, and everyone is gone, you can pick up the phone and you can call me. And even if you just have to pick up the phone and just cry. It's okay. It's okay. I'll hold the other the other line and just listen and let just let you cry. Sometimes that's what you need. That's what you need. 
I remember having times where I was afraid to cry because I thought once I start, it was going to be so uncontrollable that I would end up in a hospital. So I would hold it in. I would just hold it in. That was crazy. Rice worked hard to deal with her son's loss. That involved therapy, family support, and her determination to keep Shane Oliver's memory alive. Pictures of the young man line the walls of Rice's home. The urn with his ashes sits in the center of a console table with still more pictures and mementos. You told me that you talk about him every day and that you need to do that. Mm -hmm. So it helps me to keep him alive. It, It also helps me to understand and give purpose for doing the things that I do. Shane was my miracle child. He had a stroke in utero. I was under a lot of stress, and and I guess I should have had the stroke when I was carrying him, but my fetus did. So he didn't have full use of his right side, and he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. You couldn't tell if you were just meeting him for the first time. He generally would keep his right hand in his pocket and when he was a kid, he toe walked, but he went through serial casting and he went through um, hamstring lengthening and, and everything and um, to make him hill toe walk. So as he got older, he learned to camouflage it and his, his gait became, you know, just a cool walk. So, so that just drew us that much closer with each other. And, and I mean, we had a bond, and our bond was so close that only death could tear it apart. Yeah, we were best friends. He was able to come to me and talk to me about anything. I used to work second shift right here in Bloomfield at a um, halfway house for men 18 years and older uh, coming out of prison institutions, and um, Shane would either be waiting for me to come home, or sometimes I would get home before him. If he was if he was there waiting for me, he would be laying across my bed waiting for me, and I would come in, and he would talk us to sleep, mm-hmm. because he would tell me about his day from the beginning to the end. Um, if I got there before him, and I was would come in and take my shower and get in bed, he would come home and wake me up and lay across the bed and tell me about his day. He loved family. Um, he He was funny. He was really funny. He loved doing things for his grandmother, my mom. She was going through, um, radiation therapy. And in fact, she took her last radiation, um, the Wednesday after his demise. And he would take her. She lived right down the street from us, and he would go, before he went off for his day, he would go to her and ask her, was it anything she needed? And what was he doing at the end of his life? Was he in school? Was he working? What was what was that day that he was starting? So at the beginning of the, of the summer, uh, he was with a couple of friends, and they were in a car accident. With the insurance, he started started um, 
he used that money to buy cars. He was buying cars and he was um, fixing them and, and reselling them. He sounds like a young man who was really kind of on his way. He had, mm-hmm. he'd started a business. Mm-hmm. He Well, it's funny because he, when he was younger, he sold waters, bottles of water. His business was called SOS, Shane Oliver's Sales. It was on a corner of Elm and Main Street at Central Baptist Church there. Well, he started at his dad's office and he noticed, well, if I'm if I if I move to the corner, I can catch the parents as they go into the to the daycare center to pick up their their babies and and then he moved on and said, you know, I I just have waters, so if I add juice to this, then it'll be more appealing to the kids. So he added juice to his cooler, and and he he did quite well. At the end of the day, he would sit and count his money, and you know, so he's always had the business sense. And I, wow, it's just like I really miss him. You know, he he's he was my guy. He was definitely my guy. So. But his girlfriend was standing with him when he was shot. Neither of them knew that she was expecting. A week and a half after the funeral, we found out that she was expecting. So I now have a six-year-old. She'll be seven in um, June. A six-year-old granddaughter. And she looks exactly like him. And uh, she's actually named after him. Her name is Shane as well. Her name is spelled with a Y. Yeah. And his is just it's without the Y. Yeah. So it's a little bit of him. Yeah. Yeah. So I lost him, but gained her. I'm really glad that you introduced him to us, to the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd read a lot of stories about what happened to him, mm-hmm. but I've never read a story about him. Yeah. Yeah. And he sounds incredible. He was incredible. He was incredible. He was. I'm Colleen Shaddix for the Connecticut Health Investigative Team. This has been Lost Lives, a new series of podcasts presented by the Connecticut Health I Team's The Workup. If you'd like to learn more about the stories the team is following, visit us at c-hit.org.